We're going to be in Luke chapter 15. If you want to get out your Bibles and follow along in the lesson, Luke chapter 15. A couple weeks ago we studied Luke chapter 14. I think it's important for us to get a picture of what was talked about there before we start into Luke chapter 15. Back in chapter 14, Jesus has said some very difficult things for us to accept and difficult things for anybody to accept, really. Uh, It said back in 25 of chapter 14 that great crowds were accompanying him. And in verse 26, he tells them, If anyone wants to be my disciple and doesn't hate his father, mother, wife, children, brother, sister, and even his own self, he cannot be my disciple. Very hard statements to, to understand that Jesus is not willing to accept those who are unwilling to be fully devoted to Him. He doesn't want disciples that are going to abandon Him. He ends it by talking about uh, the salt and, and how this is what the salt of the earth does. They're devoted to Him. And then at the end of verse 35, He says, He, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And if you take out that chapter break and read that first verse of chapter 15... It says immediately after that, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Him. There's a very amazing thing that is going on in this chapter. Right after we see such hard sayings coming from Jesus, we see something amazing. These tax collectors and sinners are drawing near to hear Jesus because they're making the decision to be that devoted to Jesus. To be so devoted that they would be willing to to forsake all else in order to be His disciple. They're willing to forsake it all for that hope that Jesus offers them. So here they are in chapter 15, verse 1, drawing near... To hear him. Now, tax collectors are traitors, essentially. Uh, To the Jews, they're traitors. They they have sided with the Romans. They've signed a contract with the Romans. Romans are murderers. Romans are rapists. Romans are evil, thieving people who have conquered the land by raping and pillaging all over the place. And these tax collectors have sided with the Romans. The sinners would include prostitutes, thieves, murderers, homosexuals of all kinds of idolaters and evil and corrupt people. So what we see in this this text is the most guilty, the most vile of sinners have found that Jesus is better than anything that this life has to offer. And they're willing to turn and devote their lives to Him and give up all of those things. Well, verse 2 tells us that the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. They are bad people. Pharisees see these people as unclean. These are the worst of the worst. They're traitors. They're they're evil people. Being around them will corrupt you and make you impure and unpleasing to God. How in the world... 
could they decide to follow a man who has followers like this, who are sinners and tax collectors? This only validates their belief that Jesus isn't the Messiah. If Jesus were the Messiah, He would be one of us. He would be a Pharisee. He would be godly and following all the godly rules like like Brent was talking about this morning. He'd be washing His hands. He'd be doing all these things to remain ceremonially unclean. Not unclean, clean. So they're grumbling, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And Jesus responds by telling them three parables. The first two set up the third. I'd like to read through the first two parables, if you'll read with me, starting in verse 4. He says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she, when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents." In these two parables, we see something that's really just common sense, right? I mean, if we lose something, we're going to look for it. (laughs) If we lost a sheep, it doesn't matter that we have 99, we lost a sheep. We need the sheep. We need to go find the sheep. If we lost a coin, we need the coin. We need to go find the coin. And after we put forward all that effort and all that diligence to find the coin, we're going to be excited about finding it. We're going to be happy that we found what was once lost and be rejoicing. And Jesus compares that to a sinner who was lost being found. And He says there's more joy in heaven over that one sinner who repents than over all of those who need no repentance. It's cause for rejoicing when those who are lost are found. He's pointing to the fact that there's these sinners around him who have decided to change and decided to follow after him. And by doing that, they are being found. There's something to rejoice about here with these sinners returning back to God and desiring to please God. These two parables set up the third parable. It's probably the most known parable of all the parables. Uh, you would call it the prodigal son, right? The parable of the prodigal son is what we typically call it. But really it's not the parable of the prodigal son. It's really the parable of a man and his two sons. So whenever we read and, and, and look at this story, realize it's not just about the prodigal son, it's about more than that. It's about the father, it's about the older son, and it's about the younger son. And let's, let's think about that as we're, as we're thinking about this story. So 
this parable starts off with a, with a man having two sons, and the younger son comes up to him and he asks him for his inheritance. That's kind of unheard of. That's not really something that you would do. The father's still alive. You don't give the inheritance until the father dies. Well, the father's gracious, and the father says, yeah, okay, I'll give you your part of the inheritance, and I'll give your older brother his part. So the older brother gets two-thirds of all that the man owns, and the younger brother gets one-third of all that the man owns. And that younger son takes what he is given, and he goes off to a faraway country, and he wastes it. Prodigal living, wasteful living. He's reckless with it. He spends it on things that he doesn't need. He just he doesn't care about the future. He's just spending it to spend it. He's enjoying life. He's living life to the fullest. Paying no mind to the repercussions. Well, about the time the money runs out, there's a famine in the land. Uh-oh. All of a sudden, he's, he's caught with nothing. And at that time, everybody is going through much hardship. So he finds the only job he can find, and that's as a servant to a pig farmer. Things get so bad that in verse, verse 16, it says, He's longing to eat the food of the pigs, but no one gave him anything. This younger son has, has enjoyed this graciousness from his father and squandered it all, and now he's at his bottom. He's at rock bottom. He's lost everything. He's now feeding pigs. He's looking at the food and thinking, man, that looks tasty. He's got nothing. He's starving. He's in an awful situation. And this is, this is like poetic justice, right? He's getting everything that he deserves. Well, all of this helps to bring him to his senses. The chastening and the discipline of all these bad things happen to him. They they weigh on him and he starts to think and realize how awful he has it and how much better he would have it if he would just return to his father. He he even plans out what he's going to say. He says, I'm going to say, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just make me one of your hired servants. The life as a hired servant would be much better than this life that he's living in a foreign land. So he goes to his father. What's his father going to say? How's his father going to respond whenever he returns? Read with me. Verse 20. It says, And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. What a beautiful picture this is. As the the son comes to the father and the father sees him a long ways off and he comes running up to him and he doesn't say, Okay, you're unclean. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what you've done. 
I don't know why you're here. You're nothing to me. Get out of here. He doesn't say that. The text says he embraces him. He doesn't care where the son's been, what the son's done, whether the son's unclean. He doesn't care what he looks like to everybody else. He embraces him and he smothers him in kisses. Because he's overjoyed. And his son gets out the words, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And that's all the father needs. Bring the best robe. Bring the ring. Bring the shoes. Put it all on him. He is now my son again. He is restored to me. And let's celebrate. Whenever it says, let's kill the fatted calf, this is something you would reserve for a huge celebration where all the friends and neighbors would be coming over. This is a lot of food that's going to be shared. A huge celebration is going to be had. Why? Because his son was dead. But now he's alive. He was lost, but now he is found. Up until this point, we can see the parallel with the shepherd and with the woman who's looking for the lost coin and finding it. There's rejoicing to be had. There's excitement. There's celebration. But now the story changes. Because the older son comes in from working in the field. He's been diligent. He's been working for the father. He's been doing what the father has commanded him to do. And he comes home and he sees all this celebrating and dancing and singing going on. And he asks the servant, what's, what's happened? And the servant tells him, your brother's here and, and your, your father's killed the fatted calf. And look what the older son said. In verse 28. But he was angry and refused to go in. So his father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The story ends with this very disturbing situation as the older brother sees what's going on and and all the joy and all the celebrating and all the excitement and everything that we felt a moment ago turns to dread. Like, oh no, (laughs) we kind of forgot forgot about that guy. Well, how's he going to feel about all this? And he's not happy. He's angry with his father. And he, he disobeys the father, refusing to go in, saying, I've had enough of this. I'm, I want no part of this. Your son has devoured everything. Your property with prostitutes. And you killed the fatted calf for him. Look at me. I've been obedient. I've done what you've commanded. I've done what's right in your sight. You never threw a party for me. But the father's response is full of graciousness, isn't it? He's, he says, everything that I have is yours. It's like you could have had a party with the fattened calf. You could have done whatever you wanted. 
Everything I have is yours. But your brother's back. You're overlooking the main point, the big deal. You're missing it. Your brother was dead and he's alive. It's fitting for us to celebrate the return of your sinful brother. This parable is a beautiful picture for us to help us see and understand what Jesus is trying to do for the Pharisees and for the tax collectors. To help them them all understand what it is that's going on right now as Jesus is eating with and surrounded by all of these sinners. I think it's best for us to understand what, what his points are in this parable by looking at three different hearts. The heart of the father, the heart of the older son, and the heart of the, the younger son. In order to, to get the main point of this parable. First of all, let's look at the heart of the father. The father is like the shepherd and the woman. He is rejoicing over that which is lost being found. He has been waiting and longing for that which was lost to come back to Him, to be restored to Him. He sees it as a joyful thing when His Son returns. And He's willing to openly accept His Son. Even though His Son has done evil, even though His Son has rebelled against Him and rejected Him, He's willing to accept Him and be gracious toward Him. But the father's not just gracious toward the younger son. He's also gracious toward the older son. Notice how the older son is refusing to go into the party and the father doesn't say, fine, do what you want to do. I'm celebrating with my son because you should be in here too. He says, you should be celebrating with us. He goes out to meet him. He tries to convince him. Come on, understand. This is worth celebrating. He's entreating the brother. And he's being gracious toward the brother in the midst of his own rebellion. This is how Jesus is acting. As we see the Father being gracious, this is how God is gracious. And this is how Jesus is showing us God's graciousness. Jesus is gracious toward these tax collectors and these sinners. He's willing to accept them because they have hearts that desire to come to Him. And He's gracious toward the Pharisees who are grumbling against Him. Notice, He doesn't just come out and say, Woe to you, Pharisees and scribes, hypocrites. He says these parables, this is worth rejoicing over. This is a good thing. We should be excited and rejoicing over the return of these lost sinners. Think about the heart of the older son for a minute. That older son is very self-focused. Look at me. I've been so great. I've been so wonderful. I've been so obedient. I have never disobeyed you. I never took the inheritance you gave me and abandoned you and and ran off and, and devoted it to prostitutes and lived however I wanted to. I was faithful to you. I did what was good, what was right. I never disobeyed. But I never received anything. I deserved at least a young goat for all of my obedience. But this son of yours, notice how he disowned his own brother. 
But my brother, no, this son of yours is a traitor. He has betrayed the family. He is an unbeliever. We don't want anything to do with him. He's just going to use and abuse you again. This is now my inheritance that he's taking. And we can't have that. I'm not going to allow it. You gave it to me. It's mine. You can't have it back. It's not worth it. He's a traitor. He's a sinner. He will never change. I don't care what he says. He's just going to take more. This is the way the Pharisees are. The older brother is the representation of the Pharisees. This is their heart toward sinners. There's no compassion. There's no mercy. There's no excitement about their change because there's no belief that they have changed. There's nothing good to be found in them. There's nothing worth redeeming in these sinners. They deserve punishment. There's this negative view of of those who had sinned and their sin is unforgivable. You can't do this. You can't forgive the younger brother. You can't forgive the tax collector. You can't forgive the sinner. Have we ever had this heart? Ever. Anybody got any siblings who have rebelled against your family or your parents and you're like, uh, yeah, he needs to get a spanking. You know? uh, he needs to get grounded. He needs to get punished. He needs to have everything taken away from him. You know, we can think about that. Whenever we're younger, we, we definitely feel this way. But as we get older, don't we still have those feelings inside of us? Like we see somebody doing something they shouldn't be doing. They're drinking alcohol. They're, uh, they're divorced five times. They're cussing. They're reckless. They're foolish. Don't we want them to get what they deserve? Don't we want them to be punished for their sins? Do we forget all about compassion and mercy when we look at those who have rebelled against God? Well, I'm obedient though. I go to church and I I read the Bible and, and I do good things for people. And they, they ought to know better. It's funny how we can see these things in ourselves whenever we're, we've got children. My, my daughter, we're driving around and she's like yelling at people for driving bad. And I'm like, hmm, where did you get that from? You know, where did you get this judgmentalness toward other people on the road? You know, we, we do this. We're, we're impatient. We're judgmental. We're unwilling to, to allow forgiveness. Or, uh, you know, we always assume what is worst instead of thinking maybe what's best of other people. And whenever somebody sins against us, we have a hard time believing that they've really changed. That's the way the older brother is. If we refuse to believe when someone comes in and someone comes to the front and confesses their sin for the fifth or the sixth time, 
We refuse to believe, well, they've really changed. They've really, they're really on the right track now, and, and we need to encourage and embrace them. It's easy for us to do that. We just, we just, we have a hard time believing in other people. Because we can't see their heart and know that they've made a change in their life. But whenever we look at Jesus surrounded by these tax collectors and these sinners and accepting them, we have proof that people do change. In fact, we need to be looking at ourselves and realizing there is proof that people do change. Think about the third heart. Think about the heart of the younger son. His heart is the key to the whole story, which is probably why it's known as the parable of the prodigal son. His heart is really the key. It's what we need to be thinking about and realizing. What is his heart like? What is he thinking after he goes out and he spins and he sins and he does all these evil things? He comes to his senses. He realizes all the sinfulness that's going on in his life is not worth it. He realizes that he has gotten himself in a situation where he's not pleasing to God anymore. He's not pleasing to the Father anymore. And he desires, he longs to be made right. He longs to be given the status of a servant in his father's house. And the father sees that attitude in him. And notice how the text says, he was dead, but now he's alive. The the mentality of the younger son when he's out living for himself and and doing all these evil things is, is making him dead. But when he returns with a humble heart, he's made alive. Everybody has to see that they're the younger son. That older brother, he's the younger son. He's acting foolishly. He's rebelling against God. He needs to come to his senses He needs to change his heart and change his mind in order to be obedient to the Father, in order to submit to the Father. So did the Pharisees. So did the scribes. So did the tax collectors. So did the sinners. So do we. We have to come to our senses like the younger son before it's too late. If we're living a life that is devoted to our own sinfulness and our own self-service, we have to change our hearts. And come humbly before the Father that He might embrace us and that He might kiss us and put the best robe on us, put the ring on our finger and put the shoes on our feet and celebrate over our return. So what must we do? We need to remember that we serve a gracious God. He is compassionate He is merciful. He's willing to accept us even if we don't deserve it. He's willing to accept those around us who have sinned against us and against Him. He's willing to bring in all those who would repent. But we must change our hearts from the older son to the heart of the younger son. God always does this. He puts this twist. We look at it. We see the younger son, how awful he is. We see the older son, how righteous he is. And then he says, no, really, 
the younger son is the good one and the older son is the one that's got it wrong. For the older son, we need to become the younger son. We need to recognize our faults and we need to come humbly to the Father. And when those around us are showing themselves to be sinners and godless and rebellious against God, Jesus is entreating us to embrace them. To bring them in. Bring in the guy that's got vulgar tattoos all over him, that's got a drinking problem, that's got all kinds of divorce, all kinds of immorality. Hold on to it. Bring him in. If he's repentant and he's willing to change, embrace him. Because such were some of us. But we've been changed. Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13 through 14, this is the New Living Translation, make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. We need to be willing to overlook the faults of those around us and be willing to accept those who have been the most flagrant sinners if they will sincerely seek God and sincerely repent of their sins. We want them back. There is celebration to be had. There is rejoicing to be had. So is anybody here sincerely seeking to be found by God? Are you lost? Are you astray? Have you rebelled against God? Are you coming to your senses and understanding the change that needs to happen in your own life? Are you willing to submit to the Father and devote your life to doing the Father's will? If you are, God has made a way for you to be accepted, to be forgiven of all your sins, to be embraced, to be loved by God, to live for Him and to make a change in your life. If anybody needs to do that, please don't delay. Please come as we stand and as we sing.